It's good to be back with everyone. Thank you for coming today. I'm sure it was um, not easy for some and um, probably, you know, happy for most to be able to come back together. It was lovely to hear the voices downstairs uh, giggling. Did anybody get into the uh, cinnamon rolls? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm in good company then. <laughs> so I wanted to uh, talk today on a topic that I've been hitting on a little bit here and there. And, and that's the um, practice of uh, generosity. I wanted to start by saying when over the many years that I've been doing Buddhism, um, I've heard a lot about generosity and it almost always comes at an end of a Dhamma talk or uh, fundraising, um, letters that go out. But that's just one very um, limited aspect and with a Western mind, I had, it, it took me years to actually kind of get over a slight discomfort when uh, at the end of Dhamma talks, and then there would be the Donna, the Donna talk. <laughs> um, but practicing with the Adracha lineage um, over the year, many years and in depth with Lumpurpasano and Ajahn Tanisro, I've come to appreciate the aspect of dana of generosity as being a spiritual practice, which is different in my mental attitude than the original mental attitude that I brought with me when I entered Buddhism practices and teachings. And that was that Western mindset was, uh, gave a tone of the practice of generosity. It just restricted it to what can I give? You know, what can I offer? You know, it, it still enveloped a sense of me, myself, which is, is exactly what generosity is meant to, you know, negate, is net, meant to take us out of that place where we're referring to ourselves. And when we move beyond a referencing to ourself and still interact with the world, what I have found and highlighted in the practice I'm doing, which I'll get to in a minute, in the practice that I'm doing over this last past month, is um, it opens up this field of uh, gratitude, of kindness, of compassion. It lacks a sense of knee-jerk reactions to what do I want? How do I get it? Who's going to give it to me? Who's going to get in my way of me getting it? And 
allows me to experience the heaviness of this referencing to self and the lightness of the true, you know, pure act of generosity, the mental, the, the chitta, the mental and the heart acting together from a generous place, as opposed to the mind and the heart acting together from a sense of self. What am I going to get? When am I going to get it? Who's going to give it to me? Who's going to get in my way of my getting it? It's interesting for me in this past month to really focus in on the feeling of generosity, of a, of a true generous heart and mind and the results. What is the results? And from that place, working at experiencing this practice, then I can see the heaviness, which I didn't actually, it's not just seeing, it's fully experiencing the heaviness of non-generosity, of selfishness. And the joy and the lightness of generosity and the of a generous heart and mind and the isolation and heaviness of a non-generous mind. And so I may have mentioned this before, but I had decided to take on a practice of really focusing on generosity. Um, and I'll, I'll explain that in just a moment, but I'm going to step back for a moment. And a while back, and I, I shared this with the e-group, um, we were, people were invited to make a determination for um, a, a, a determination within our practice that would be uh, challenging, but capable of us doing in honor for and respect for our teacher, Lumpur Pasano, 50th anniversary of being a bhikkhu. And it took me probably three weeks before I came up with something. I just couldn't, I wasn't coming up with, I don't know how to do this. At first I thought, I'll get 50 people from Portland Friends of the Dhamma to, what will I do? To do what? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll uh, send flowers for 50. No, I can't afford to do that. <laughs> so then I just let it rest. And I finally, um, some of you will remember what, what inspired me, what came to mind just the night before the deadline to send in our Aditana. Aditana is the determination we make. Um, in respect and honor of a particular person or event or whatever. So the night before they needed that because they were going to write them all out and give them to Lumpur Pasano and he reads them over his retreat, what people are doing and in gratitude for his being a bhikkhu for 50 years. So what popped in my mind was um, the experience of Alistair and I buying a new car and not being comfortable with the salesperson and my being upset with the salesperson 
and then recognizing that this is not wholesome and what would the Buddha do and remembering that Alistair had said to me before we went down, we don't need to buy the car. Well, it was exactly the car <laughs> I wanted and exactly the color I wanted. And Alistair was desperately trying to <laughs> buy it for me. <laughs> and I was left in the office kind of being a little bit grumpy. And he was left puzzled, just staring at the sticker, which was not in line with what the salesperson was saying. This is what you have to pay. And so we were both frustrated. And then I, and then it popped into my mind what Alistair had said, we don't need to buy the car. And, and so I went out there and said, and reminded him that he said that. And so we agreed, okay, let's not buy the car. And the, the uh, feeling uh, of dropping, needing that car opened up a sense of generosity toward this salesperson who before this moment, I was really, pardon my French, I was rather pissed at. <laughs> we, I felt, we felt lied to and misled. And um, so we just told them, well, this isn't working. So we're, we're not going to buy the car. And of course, then they, she said, oh, my boss just said, we don't have to, <laughs> we can give it to you for what we said we would give it to you for <laughs> after all. And, and I didn't have any animosity feelings that because, so that was, that was generosity is about letting go of a position or a view, or, you know, I was stuck in, I want this you're in my way of me getting it. And I'm mad at you because I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it. Then I realized, no, I'm suffering because I'm mad. <laughs> I have ill will. Okay. Drop the ill will. How do you do that? Don't buy the car. Oh yeah. Okay. And then as soon as I felt that I only had compassion for this person who was not being straightforward for us, but I wasn't mad anymore, you know, and it, it was their job. And and now we have that car, <laughs> but <laughs> so I'm doubly happy. <laughs> but um, so I all that went back through my mind, and I remembered. So I thought I'll make generosity my practice. So I determined my aditama was I determined to for the next fifty days. I would, in my morning meditation, would be focusing on feeling the experience of an open, generous heart and mind, mm -hmm. an open, generous chitta. And then when I go to bed, I reflect before I go to sleep, I reflect on the results of this. What is the results? And it has really been amazing. I'm... I'm surprised at the brightness it has brought into my life, the amount of, I'm going to call it subtle joy. Um, I have a tendency to, to feel emotions quite strongly. And so when I would get happy, I would get you know, I could get really exuberant 
And uh, in that exuberance, I could get lost in how do I keep this going? <laughs> how do I get more? How do I repeat it? This joy is just a complete sense of contentment with the way things are, which is also fairly new for me, a real contentment for the way things are. Um, not all moments throughout the day, but many, many more moments than I've ever experienced before in, in a day, in a week, in two weeks. You know, there's a lightness, a brightness in my heart and mind, which is puts in relief that which is not generous, easier to see. It's because I'm experiencing this lightness, I can also experience the heaviness of not being in a place of, you know, of um, generous heart. Alistair and I got, I got stuck in the house uh, for the past week, uh, over a week, actually. Um, we had just pulled out our oven, um, disconnected it. It was a, it was a double oven and we've moved it out and we were the next day supposed to get our new oven uh, delivered but then the ice storm hit, so we didn't get that. So we didn't have an oven. We didn't have an oven, and we still don't have an oven <laughs> to this day. On, on top of that, our pipes froze right off the bat, mm. so we had no water. Mm. <laughs> so we, had to, we put a bunch of uh, dirty snow slash ice in the tub because we couldn't take a shower or a bathtub. So that, and then poured boiling water over it so that we could flush the toilet. <laughs> you know, and uh, fortunately, we do have a stovetop still. But all of this, in without having been focused on putting my mind and heart in a generous place and really feeling it in my morning meditations. And this would have been a little irritating for me. And then I got stuck in the house because I can't, I can't risk falling right now. And we had a very thick coat of ice and we still have a coat of ice at our house. So I was stuck in the house for the entire week. And, um, I actually really enjoyed it. <laughs> it's very quiet. Alistair is still able to get to work, but Shane's on. He's only 10 minutes away. And I, I just, I found it challenging, but the challenge became something like to meet as a game, as opposed to something to be irritated by. And that's strictly because I, be, I believe that's a change of attitude for me because of the practice that I took on. And more gratitude then comes up for Lomprapasana's teachings, for his um, exemplary uh, example of what one can do to just walk ourselves out of the rut of suffering 
and and take these easy, simple ideas, implement them into our everyday life and experience the benefit, the joy, the beauty of being released from what we might call little or simple habits that we indulge in that make us suffer when we recognize and take these steps to change our attitude, then we, we see we can do this. We can do it in small ways. If we can do it in small ways, as we repeat these small challenges and form, you know, form habits by this repetition, we become stronger and stronger. These habits become stronger every time we do it, we repeat it. And then we can take on more and more challenges. You know, this is crossing the floods, the flood of ill will, the flood of everything that we take on that makes us suffer. We learn to, oh, I can put my feet down. I don't have to have my feet swept out from under me. You know, but we start in shallow water and we can go deeper and deeper until we get to the other shore. I, I hope that's making sense. Mm -hmm. I have a little piece um, in the Parmi book <laughs> about doing just this that I wanted um, to read. And I was going to read about generosity, but then decided in, in going through this book here and there that I'd read in the introduction about the stages of fruition of any of the paramis and for anyone who might not know a parami is a is what's considered attitudes that are worth that are very valuable and worth perfecting these perfecting these will take us to full release full enlightenment the very first one is generosity but here's the stages from ajahn uh, suchito um Stages of fruition of the parami. Do you know if we still have this book downstairs? Yes. I think we just added to our, our little stock downstairs. If you don't have one, please feel free to pick one up. Stages and fruition of the parami. The paramis are inclinations and potentials that we develop into clear intentions. Their development comes in three stages, the initiating, the gathering, and the completion. Initially, one brings the topic to mind. Even this much is useful. It means that parami get built in as a frame of reference when other values such as fun, convenience, style, worldly performance, and success can be taking over the mind. The gathering stage is when you apply the perfection in the face of opposition. Something in you doesn't want to bother. Other people don't see the point. It's not convenient, etc., etc. The third stage of completion is when you know your fullness in that perfection will take you through any obstacle. You can give up your life for it. You realize, why not? Life is going to end anyway. Why not establish the mind in a position of strength while there is time? So when we establish our minds on one of these paramis, 
we can put aside inclinations as to who's right and who deserves what, and we can focus on the intention of our own minds. As we get clear in that respect, we then have to meet the resistance that results from going against the current of the flood. This is the gathering stage in which there is often an emotional and energetic turbulence in the mind in which doubt and unbalance come into four. Here's where one has to use resolve, patience, wisdom, kindness, or the examples of wise friends in order to get steady. This is a stage in which perfection gets established to supplement impatient, intolerance, and other defilements that cramp our potential. As we look for that balance within the shifts of our mind and world, we keep checking out the current in accord with the Buddha's own line of inquiry. Does this behavior cause me and or others long-term harm, suffering, indignity, or stress? Does it lead to my welfare, the welfare of others, and peace? As a result of that work, our inclinations and intentions get established on the good and the whole, and we are able to review the fractured, the stained, or the afflicted. You could say that on touching into truth, your mind is able to return to healing. This is how the bodhisattva arises. It's a mind that is in touch with truth, but not fully absorbed in it, gone beyond your previous standpoint, capacity, or view, and open to a place of wisdom and compassion. Instead of referring your actions to some self-image of what I deserve and should I really, and this is what I always do, and all that I'm capable of, there's a shift to, to a response that refers to a wider parameter than that of our habitual self. The great intention arises. For my welfare, for the welfare of others, and leading to peace. It can be done. We do do it. All of us do this every day and don't recognize it. We want to recognize when we feel light, when we feel happy and generous, when we feel open, when we feel beauty and joy, recognize this. And why are we feeling this? You know, what, what is it that brought this on? This is worth repeating. As we feel this, own it, recognize it, know this is goodness, this is wholesome. Then be open to the heaviness. When we step off the path to release, we will feel heavy. We will be referring to ourselves. We will be selfish, self-centered. It won't feel good. It'll it won't it won't feel like what release, what being a generous heart and mind feels like. And so it's worth finding opportunities to repeat that bring a sense of openness and generosity into our heart, into our mind. It's worth repeating these 
small steps. They lead to bigger. They open up to the ability to gain the strength and the nourishment to take a bigger step, to meet a bigger flood and not be toppled or swept away. But it takes practice. When we do topple, if we're recognizing that, oh, I'm toppling, that in itself is really good. That tells us that we're waking up to the reality of how we make our own suffering and how we can lead ourselves out of it. <laughs>